Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And today is the day we're exploring creative, delicious, and easy ways to reignite the spark when answering that question, what's for dinner? In this episode, we have you covered with our very favorite culinary nutrition tips, tricks, and go-to meals. We'll be covering why home cooking matters, important questions to consider when ordering in from restaurants, how we categorize our different go-to meals, our favorite 20-minute and one-pot meal ideas, and over 15 dinners, many of which don't even need recipes. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Megan Peltner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Joining me, as always, is the person I love sharing dinner with, Josh Catalis. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. This episode is a special one, and not just because it's the final episode of season two, but because it gets to the heart of everything we do here at the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and, well, at home together when we plan our meals. And that is knowing how to prepare delicious, easy, and healthful meals that hopefully everyone will love. Mealtime is important to us, but like anyone who cooks at home, the what's for dinner question comes up daily. Finding answers to that question that are appetizing for all can be challenging. In this episode, we're hoping that by sharing some of our strategies and favorite meals, we can help answer that question for you. There's one simple fact that has to be accepted if you're going to embrace healthful eating, and it is that you need an investment. And it's either going to be an investment of your time and energy and creativity or an investment in money paying someone else to do it. Either you're going to have to cook from scratch in your own home kitchen or you're hiring someone else to do that job for you. But you can't get around it. That is where health comes from. It comes at the end of our fork with meals made from scratch in our home kitchens with whole unprocessed ingredients. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And it definitely doesn't need to be any more complicated either. Yeah, I had a mentor who said many years ago that the chef of the family is the doctor of the family. And that's stuck with me ever since. Because really, that person who cooks for the whole household, whether it's for yourself and you're the only person in that household, or you have a family of 10, you are in massive control of the fate of everyone's health because you're going to be feeding them those nutrients on a regular basis, or you're going to be feeding them those toxic processed foods on a regular basis. And this is the decision that that chef has to make. And one of the ways to make this easy and sustainable and maintainable and all those important factors is to get a lineup in your roster of tried, tested, approved favorites that are easy to get on the table so that you can't expect yourself to pull out a cookbook every single night and follow a recipe, no matter how simple or complicated it is. So it's a matter of getting to know a few basics They're at the top of your brain, they're tip of your brain, what's the word? In your head, whatever it might be, that. that you can just whip up and get on the table quickly. I think a lot of people get thrown when they see all these Instagram accounts and 
nutritionists and even us, you know, with pictures of the meals and creations that we're making, thinking that that's actually the norm. And it's not, right? Like we have a certain roster of recipes we like to go through. Yeah. And of course, we're trying new things, which we'll get into in more detail. But we kind of rotate through a bunch yeah. on a regular basis. And that makes it really easy for us. I'd say that one of the reasons why my food photography is not that stellar is because what I do photograph is our actual meals. So they're not picture perfect, plated and styled. I spend more time actually making the meal. I'll take a picture before we eat it. Doesn't make for the best Instagram feed, but that's not where my priority is. It's on getting us good food and I don't have time for much else right now. <laughs> right. Like a mushroom soup photographs are really, really Yeah. Boring. Doggy diarrhea. There's a, <laughs> there's a thing with some foods and stews and stuff. It's the doggy diarrhea syndrome where like, and when they're taken with flash photography, oh, it's terrible. Anyway, we'll move on from there. Let's begin with discussing the option of paying someone else to make your food. So we have a few options. We've got restaurants to make your food. We've got takeout places. People can get a personal chef. Any others to add to that list? There's meal delivery services. Meal delivery services. Now, these are great. And I think they've come a long way, at least here in Toronto. We have some amazing companies that are providing some very high quality prepared food for people. Shout out to Roots of Health, who we have used in the past when we were very busy. Yeah. And Living Kitchen Wellness. Yeah. Great one. Yeah. So most of the world, though, isn't going to have these services available. Or have the budget available Exactly, either. or it's... the budget. But remember, this is the option that you do have the budget, yes. right? Yeah. Now, that's all and good. But a lot of these say that they, you know, now we're not talking about the companies we actually uh, mentioned because they're like of the highest quality. But a lot of these companies are going to use maybe Whole Foods. Maybe they're saying they use, you know, unprocessed foods. But some of the ingredients that make the food taste good or that are used in really high quantities are most likely of lowest quality. And two examples would be the oils that they use and something like salt, right? So a lot of companies are just going to use white salt. Like even the fanciest restaurants that are farm to table are just using like white salt. Iodized table salt. Yeah. And they're using oil like canola oil, oils that you can get in large amounts for really cheap that have a long shelf life rather than using things like olive oil and avocado oil which and coconut oil, which would just totally be non-economical for a restaurant to use. It wouldn't be economic. Well, it's, it's debatable, but you just don't want to be consuming massive quantities of these processed oils. We recently got hooked on the most wonderful, happy Canadian show, which was the Great Canadian Baking Show, I think. Yeah. We, I mean, given everything going on in the world, it was just so delightful. But every time they poured these vats of Crisco oil, we were both just cringing. We didn't watch it to get tips on how to cook, by the way. It was just fun to watch. But those vegetable oils, they are pro-inflammatory in the body. They elevate and imbalance that fatty acid profile that can promote inflammation. And we know that that then affects every part of our function, our metabolic function in the body. And restaurants are using, in most cases, unless they're going to, and you know that if they're using good quality oils and, and all of that, they're going to tell you. They're not going to pretend like you know, let that one slide. When they're using good ingredients, it's going to be blasted everywhere. And if 
you're listening to this and you do work at a restaurant that uses all good oils and good stuff, let us know. We're going to come eat there. <laughs> we will. The no matter thing, where in the world you are. Yeah. The other thing too is like the cooking surfaces that they may be using. You know, some uh, restaurants might be using or even, you know, personal chefs or again, you know, food companies like uh, prepared food. They might be using Teflon pans. They might be using water in their products that's not filtered. Like there's just a lot of stuff you can't have full control over. There's a lot of variables. And one of the things I remember when I realized that I needed to learn to cook, that was shortly after my diagnosis with Crohn's, was that I needed to know exactly what I was eating and not in like a fanatical, obsessive way. But I realized that as long as I was buying ready-made foods, whether it was, you know, a pasta salad from like a Whole Foods kind of place or a ready-made gluten-free cookie, I still didn't know exactly how much sugar was in it, what kind of oils were being used, all those factors. So when we're looking at health, knowing what we're eating is a vital part of that. And the only way to know 100% is to make it yourself. One example, just as an aside, is if someone's a celiac right, and they have to avoid gluten like 100%, going to a pizza place that has a separate side in their oven for gluten-free pizzas or even a separate oven, that is just a joke. Yeah. Really, there's absolutely no way that that pizza in that pizza place is going to be not contaminated. So some of the strategies that we use to get dinner on the table, so it's myself and Josh and our nearly three-year-old Finley, and Josh and I both work full-time. We both have our own businesses. And so we're trying to find the balance like all parents are, no matter what your circumstances and all people are who are working. Whatever your situation is, you got to figure out how to get dinner in. And so a couple of the things we do without fail is one of us is home in time to make dinner. That's just what it is. And we take turns. We'll be like, can you be home early today? Can you be home early today? And being home early is, is to get home by five. And we've built that as a priority into how we structured our life and our businesses. And it's been very intentional for the last 12 years since we started doing this to have that freedom. But one of the things we do when we get home and we have a little one that we want to have dinner with, because we don't get to spend all day with him every day, is we have a five o'clock, very small snack. And this is a way to ensure that he can make it till six. And so can we without any blood sugar fluctuations, without any crashes, tantrumy type irritable behavior, which is usually just hunger. So we'll give him small things like some macadamia nuts or some olives or some cucumber with a little bit of, we use like the cultured dairy-free cheese on it. Just little things that aren't necessarily going to fill him up. But if they do fill him up a little bit and he doesn't eat as much dinner, that's okay too. But what it does is it stretches him out a little bit so we can all sit together at the table and have a calm dinner and a conversation. I think there's a couple really big things that derail people for the dinnertime meal. And one is lack of preparation. Yes, for sure. Fo food prep is like one of your specialties. And the blood sugar crash at the end of the day. When you get home, you have no plan, you're starved, and you let it go too long. Yeah. And then you usually just binge on potato chips or a box of crackers or something that's going to get that blood sugar elevated right away. Absolutely. Another one of our little tricks we do is to always have our greens prepared. So that's part of our meal prep that we do on Sundays, but to always have basically salad greens ready to go and always have a dressing prep. So no matter what the meal is, the salad or the raw vegetable component 
is already taken care of. And that's a really, really simple thing to do. A salad dressing takes maybe three minutes to mix. Uh, Washing a head of lettuce, not bought in a package plastic, please. But a full head of lettuce takes under a minute to cut off the bottom, throw it in your salad spinner, immerse with water, dump the water, spin it, and you're done. So take that five minutes in advance and then you have salad basically ready to go for the week. Now, just as a simple tip, I would say, first of all, stay away from any prepared salad dressing. They're all like horrible, terrible ingredients. Speaking of terrible oils. uh, With a few exceptions. But for if you really just want to use your own, you know, covering for salad, just put a little olive oil on and a squeeze of lemon and a little sea salt and you're done. One of my favorite dressings Mm -hmm. that everybody loves is mix so it's taking basically what Josh said, but we're elevating it slightly. But taking a little bit of tahini, a little bit of Dijon mustard, a little bit of tamari, either some olive oil or flax oil, and then either a little bit of lemon juice or a little bit of cider vinegar. And you can put that in a mason jar and just shake it up. And you may have to balance the ratios a little bit to get the desired consistency and flavor. But those simple ingredients, no blender needed, no measuring needed. You'll find your flow with it. And that dressing goes great on everything. Can I ask you a a very important question? Oh, yes. You've written two, well, one and a half cookbooks, right? Why one and a half? And uh, it's not really a cookbook. No, it's it's a lifestyle guide with recipes. That would be correct. Yeah. And for the recipe you just gave us, you used the the measurement quote a little bit. Right. About seven times. (laughs) Well, so... If you're the person who wants measurements, there's a tahini dressing in the Undiet cookbook oh. that has some more accurate. But the reason why I'm saying just a little yeah. bit is like it's maybe a couple tablespoons of each ingredient, less mustard than oil, but you kind of mix, put in the oil and then you add the things to the oil until you get the desired flavor is kind of the way to go with it. And if you're making salad dressing for 10 people, that family of 10 for salads can be different than if you're making just for yourself for the week. And like anything... Cooking is a skill. So for those of you who are listening and you've never made your own salad dressing before, follow a recipe the first five to 10 times, and then you're going to know how to crack it. Yeah. Probably with a salad dressing, I'd go with two to three times to follow the recipe. If you're following a recipe 10 times for the same dressing, then someone's not cooking mindfully. Okay. The other thing that I like to suggest is if you do have other people in, in your household, no matter the age, get everyone in the kitchen while you're preparing dinner, if possible. So if you have school-age kids and they need to do some homework, have them sit with you while they're doing their homework. Have conversations with them as you're cooking. If possible, give them some jobs to do to help with dinner. But it's an amazing opportunity to connect with the people in your home after everyone's been sort of out in the world for the day. And again, even with our three-year-old, he's in his tower with us. Sometimes he's tearing lettuce. Sometimes he's being a torrent, but he's there with us as we're cooking. And it's amazing how much just absorbs in by being present with it. We're going to dive into some meal ideas now, and we're going to kind of go on a hierarchy here, starting with some of the most simple, easy, quick options when you're really in a time pinch, moving all the way to a 17-course meal. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can you imagine eating a (laughs) 17-course meal? Like you probably could do it. Maybe. I don't even know. Um, But yeah, just moving more complex and and more time-consuming. And we're going to talk about each stage along the way. Right. So the easiest meal is the one you pull from your own freezer. And what you're pulling from your freezer is a meal you made last week or last month from scratch. So preparing either a double batch of something or saving some 
to have later is a really, really effective strategy. Or batch cooking. Or batch cooking. But something to keep in mind, most recipes in most cookbooks are prepared for four to six servings. So if you're a single person, you don't have to cook as much because you can freeze a lot more or you can half the recipe if you don't want so much extra. But What's really important, and we do this at least once a week, we have a meal we can pull from the freezer. And so every week, we're also replenishing our freezer meal by making something that is freezable. So some of our favorite freezer meals are, uh, we call it a bolognese, but a pasta sauce that for us, we we eat meat. So it has some ground beef in it, but you can do this with, with black beans or chopped tempeh. It's just basically a meat sauce or a vegan type meat sauce, but with a couple, we use a jar. I usually do a double batch, but with some crushed tomatoes, a whole bunch of vegetables, carrots, onion, garlic, mushrooms, red and green pepper. And I just simmer all of that for about two hours. And then we'll have that as a meal. And then I'll usually freeze two or three portions. And for our family, one mason jar frozen is is another full portion for everybody. So that's one of our favorites, the shepherd's pie. Now, the rest there is a recipe in the End Diet Cookbook for this, but you know, find the one you love most. This is a great one. It does take a bit of prep time, but it's such a satisfying freezer meal. So when you are making it, make make two, make the one you're going to serve that night or that weekend as the case may be and one to freeze because oftentimes it's no more effort or no dramatic amount of effort to double it up. And when you take a shepherd's pie out of the freezer, you take it out in the morning, pop it in the oven when you get home so it warms while you're sort of unwinding from the day and you have a full, hearty, complete one dish meal. What about soups, Josh? I love a good soup. What did we have for lunch today just before we recorded this? We had some soup and gluten-free Fresh sourdough bread, a la the Bredista Megan. Right, I do make bread, but the focus here was supposed to be the soup. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of soup was it? It was a broccoli. Yeah, broccoli soup. Yeah. Yeah, it was delicious. It was a cream of broccoli soup. Yeah. I did not use a recipe for this, so there is a recipe on my blog. But what had happened was I'd gone grocery shopping, and then Josh had to run out and get like one more thing we forgot. And I think broccoli was probably looking nice and fresh. So he bought more broccoli. So we had more broccoli we were going to consume in a week. So I threw into the pot some onions, carrots, celery, all the broccoli, and some wild leeks that we had in the freezer. Broccoli stems too. And the stems. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to use the stems. I simmered that until everything was fork tender and then just blended it up. And I actually added a little bit of cashews to make it creamy. I added a little bit of smoked paprika and some sea salt. And that was it. Did you take like kind of that woody part off the stems or does the whole stems go in that type Yes, of soup? I peel off the okay. woody, the woody clarifying for outer everyone. bit. Yeah, so I make that soup and freeze it. So whenever you're freezing soups or anything liquidy, you want to leave what they call headroom about two inches at the top. A really simple way to avoid the cracking of the jar is to freeze things with jars lying on their sides. Because the way they crack is that it expands. And with mason jars, they have that narrow mouth at the top. And so as liquid moves up, it can cause that pressure to bust that jar open. And there's nothing more heartbreaking than pulling food you prepped out of the freezer and it haven't been cracked. And one of the other ones is a burger. So you can do meat burgers. You can do veggie burgers. I have on my blog recipe for veggie tater tots. It was also part of everyday culinary nutrition course. And these are just great because I do a double batch of them. We have a couple fresh for dinner that night and then I'll freeze them. And those are amazing ones to pull out at 
lunchtime for Finn. We talked about them in a previous episode as well. If dinner's not going well, I know that I have one of those available. So it's just to have something really healthful, nutritious as more of a backup meal, especially with with little ones. So that's our, those are some of our go-to freezer meals. We're going to take a quick pause here so you can meet one of our culinary nutrition expert grads. This is Cindy Santa Anna. Straight away upon graduating, Cindy got straight to work running her own classes and programs and wisely working together with other graduates and experts in the field to build a wide and solid network of followers and clients. Here's Cindy to share more. Hi, I'm Cindy Santa Anna, and I'm a 2016 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. The program taught me how to create delicious plant-based recipes that my clients love. The skills and knowledge that I gained allowed me to start teaching culinary nutrition cooking classes here in Northern Virginia. I've been leading monthly sold-out classes for four years now. I also authored the book, Unprocessed Living, teaching people how to break away from processed foods and how to eat real nutrient-dense whole foods. I went on to become a nutritional therapy practitioner and have a thriving virtual practice specializing in hormone balance for women over 40. I love Megan's style, enthusiasm, her knowledge and ongoing support in the alumni community as well. It's an ongoing educational journey that I'm very grateful for. Cindy is now working hard to be able to offer services and more classes online as the times call for it. Learn more about Cindy's offerings in our show notes. Visit culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast and choose this episode for links to everything she offers. Registration is now open for our September program and we would love for you to join us. If you fancy a taste test of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program, why not start with our free training? You can watch the preview video and learn more at culinarynutrition.com forward slash free training. You'll receive instant access to your first module. And through this five-day mini course, you'll be baking up something absolutely delicious. It's going to be gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, nut-free. Oh, did I mention delicious already? It's worth saying it twice. Go on and check it out and write this down so you can visit when you're done listening culinarynutrition.com forward slash free training. You're going to love it. Now let's get back to today's conversation. Moving on now to what we would put into like the 20 minute category, like uh, from start of preparation to putting it on the table. We think about a protein that we're going to eat and then we adorn the plate with other vegetables around that protein. That's usually the strategy. So, you know, first on the list, I'll, I'll just give an example. Say we're going to do a rainbow trout or some other type of fish. We uh, dress that up, get it ready. That takes usually about like 14 minutes. That's a quickie. To actually from start to finish for the from, fish? From the, the oven, from the oven. Yeah, it's so 14 like minutes even in the oven. So like even prepping it, it's like five minutes. Yeah, prepping it is five minutes. And I have two different ways I love to prep it just for variety. One is I make a little bit of a dressing that's with miso paste, Dijon mustard, a little bit of maple syrup and tamari, and I'll paint that on. The other option is I'll paint the fish directly with Dijon mustard and I'll put some crushed almond meal or almond flour, sprinkle that on top with a little bit of sea salt. And that's basically it. And it's delicious. Maybe some herbs. And sometimes what I do even more simple is a sprinkle of sea salt and a little sprinkle of dill. Yeah. 
Just beautiful. And a squeeze of lemon. Yeah, and a squeeze of lemon. Always goes good with fish. Yeah. And then we might saute up some mushrooms on the side, get some green beans going, and we may or may not add a rice to that as well. Uh, usually a brown basmati or just a short grain brown rice. We also get wild rice, which is really nice. We've you know used like a purple black rice yeah. in the past. And if we're really pressed for time, we will use an organic white rice. But what I do to sort of offset the white rice-ness of the white rice is I'll add a little bit of turmeric and some onions just to give it a little bit more depth and a little bit more nutrition. Yeah. And the cool thing about rice too is you can cook it in broths to get a little bit of an yes. extra nutritional benefit. And flavor. Oh, also cooking rice in coconut milk. Mm, so love when you do that. Yeah. I'll do about one and a half cups of like, so if I'm doing one cup of rice, I'll do about one and a half cups of coconut milk and then maybe three quarters of a cup of water. You need a little more liquid because it's so thick. So say it's a steak night. We usually share a steak between the whole family and then actually have leftovers. So remember, these things are not the main event. They're just like almost like a condiment. We'll do the steak. I usually do it on the barbecue. And then we'll have a side of broccoli, maybe some sweet potato fries. Um, and then again, buckwheat maybe on the side or a rice or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So the buckwheat our son loves. And what I do to make buckwheat, which is a underutilized seed-like grain. So buckwheat is not wheat. It's not even, has no gluten in it. It's a seed. It's actually related to the rhubarb plant. But if you saute up an onion and then add your buckwheat sea salt in the water to cook it down, it's really flavorful and delicious. And with a meal like this, the buckwheat could almost be a base and then you add everything on top of it and you can even drizzle a little bit of that salad dressing I talked about earlier and you've got a full meal. We also do something like a deconstructed nachos. So putting kind of all the pieces together that would be used in nachos, like a guacamole, maybe a ground beef, shredded lettuce, chopped up tomatoes, maybe a salsa, a cream sauce yeah, using do. cashews. Yeah, the cashew do. cream. That's so really good. And I also add to the meat, the taco seasoning, which is a recipe in the Undite Cookbook. And in the Undite Cookbook, there's also a recipe for the cauliflower with chickpea version. So a vegan taco version. It could be done as a salad. Yeah. We've, um, we're really into just making our own taco wraps these days as well, which is actually way easier than you think. But not a part of the 20 minute meal. Not part of the, no, no, no. This is a much longer project. Usually on the weekend we'll do it. We'll, uh, make corn tortillas from scratch, which is so delicious. Yeah. And you can freeze those as well. But so the thing is with this deconstructed nacho, we cook the meat or if you're using beans or cauliflower or chickpeas or whatever you're using as the base, we cook it up with some onions and red pepper and a few other veggies so that even for our son, we'll give him a bowl of that and he'll eat it. And sometimes he usually eats guacamole, a lot of it, mm -hmm. but we just throw the sauces on top and it becomes a really filling flavor rich meal. So this is something I've been doing lately because I wanted to get more greens basically into Finley, which is why I went down this path, but, but making like a pesto pasta. And I kept on looking at my kale and I'm like, how can I get Finley to eat kale, more kale? And yeah. even me and you, right? Because yeah. you, you sometimes forget about it. So I've been in the uh, food processor, I've been adding uh, a whole bunch of kale almost till it's overfilled. Some herbs if we have them, like parsley, if we have it on hand, even some spinach. I put in there uh, like three or four tablespoons of nutritional yeast, a whole bunch of oil, some sea salt, lemon juice. And then I give that a good spin, make it really, really nice and creamy. It's only going to get so creamy because we're using like raw kale leaves, but it gets pretty 
pretty pesto-y, which is nice. And the last time I did it, I heated it up a little bit, which I think was nice. Yeah, to warm it. Yeah, to yeah. The pasta. Actually, I sauteed some garlic and olive oil first, and yeah. then I added the pesto to it and warmed it all up a little bit. And then we added that into our pasta, and it was just so delicious, right? It was, you know, loaded with all this amazing, all these amazing greens and Finley just gobbled it up. Mm -hmm. And that's another recipe that you might want to find a pesto, make that as your base. And then eventually you can be freed from the recipe. And these are all meals that we just have in our brains because we've made them so many times. Another one, and this one does have a recipe and we'll have the link over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast, but it's for a Moroccan, a ground Moroccan lamb that we serve with turmeric rice, chopped tomatoes, and hummus. And we love this one because it has different flavors. And again, you can replace the lamb with your favorite vegan protein, but it's got chopped apricots in it. It's got a bit of cinnamon and cumin, and it just has a different flavor profile from so much of the things that we're used to eating, like a lot of other meals. And this one, again, it feels really fancy, but it's 20 minutes and you're done. And usually we have a hummus that we make on the weekend, so we have that all ready to go. The last on our 20-minute meal list is fajitas, which again, you're just chopping up, pan-frying some vegetables and serving it with either a cashew cream, some guacamole in some kind of wrap or just on its own on a plate. And it's really about getting those flavors in, the vegetables in, and doing something that's quick from start to finish, served hot and delicious with love. All right, moving on to one-pot meals. You throw everything in, you cook it up, and then you eat it as is. Yeah, and what I love about the meals we're going to share is they are 20 minutes to cook. So they they are not a lot of active time, and they don't require a ton of actual cooking time. So curries are something we go to, a red Thai curry, green Thai curry. There's a, there's a lot of those that are basically just taking some delicious ingredients, putting them in a pot and let them cook. And we, I have a bunch of recipes too that we'll connect to. And what I love about this is you could actually prep everything in the morning, just leave it in the pot in the fridge. And when you come home, turn it on, simmer it for 20 minutes and you have a fresh cooked meal. Butter chicken is another one we do. Again, it's got lots and lots of healthful spices, lots of vegetables in it. You can do it with all like any kind of vegetable, basically. And again, I have a recipe for this, but it's a good way to get in the stuff that people don't often always go to, like the cauliflowers or the eggplants. And you can really mix things in and, and it's a flavor-rich one. It, this one freezes really well as well. So it can get bumped up into the freezer meal category once you've made it a few times. Another one I love is our pad thai. And this recipe is also on the blog. And the reason why I like this one is because you can make the sauce like a day or two or three in advance. You can even chop up your veggies. And so it's more of a stir fry. We don't have stir fry on our list because I feel like that's the first thing everyone learns to make when they learn to cook. It's like, I make a stir fry. Come over for dinner, says that you're crush in university on the first date. <laughs> is this from personal experience? Yeah, but he put blueberries in it. <laughs> I was trying to be fancy. It was horrible. And then proceeded to open a bottle of wine with a pool cue. <laughs> love it. Anyway, if he's listening, he knows who he is. <laughs> but um, so I love the pad thai because you make the sauce, you stir fry the veggies and you can have it again with zucchini noodles, with a rice noodle, with a pad thai noodle, with whatever you want. And it's just has such a beautiful flavor. And we usually do this one with, with tofu when we have it. Stews can be great too, because you can set it and forget it. If you have a slow cooker, you can actually do that at breakfast time and then just leave it. And that's ready when you come home. You don't even have to do anything. You just scoop, put it in the bowl and eat it. Yes. 
That was, we did that one quite recently, actually. And then I actually Mm -hmm. added to this one. We had some leftover buckwheat in the fridge and I just added that to the stew to serve it. Love it. You know, another really great tip to get more nutrition into your stews and kind of dishes like that, that are hot, is you can add a green to it near the end. Yes. And it kind of whittles down a little bit and, sorry, wilts down a little bit and gets incorporated and you don't really notice it's there, especially if you chop it up into little pieces. So arugula does that really well. Spinach does that really well. Kale, not as well, but if you do give it a five-minute cook, it it does blend in and becomes a lot more tender. So that was about 15 weekday meal ideas right there. So two to three weeks worth, give or take. Now, weekend meals are my favorite meals because my love of being in the kitchen isn't getting dinner on the table. Like I do it and I do it with joy, but it's not where my passion lies when it comes to culinary nutrition. Culinary nutrition for me and what brought me into this field and creating recipes and teaching people and sharing this knowledge is when you have those beautiful stretches of time to get creative and do all these different things from scratch. And so a lot of our weekend meals have lots of components to them because that's one of my hobbies is to do that. And it's a really, and you know, with everyone now staying home more often, it's a really nice way to spend the time to uh, do something that good for yourself and or for those you may be sharing a meal with or delivering a meal to. It's one of our favorite weekend meals is pizza. Mm. And I make our our gluten-free crust from scratch. Then I'll look at what the toppings are going to be. I make the tomato paste. And for the tomato paste, I just buy the organic jarred tomato paste and I'll mix into it some olive oil, some herbs, a little bit of sea salt, and I use that as the base. Or we can use Josh's kale pesto that he described earlier. And this is also a wonderful way on the weekends that you look in your fridge and be like, okay, this is what I have left over. Does any of this go on a pizza? And basically everything can go on a pizza. So it's also a nice way to use up leftovers while making something that feels like a treat. And so that's become a bit of a a ritual for us. This next one, I think, is one of your absolute favorite meals. Sure is. Mediterranean feast. What we eat with that is we'll do a hummus. We talked about that earlier. We'll make a tabbouleh salad. We'll do... We um, do the tabbouleh with with quinoa, parsley, tomatoes, and cucumbers. Right. Megan makes these amazing falafels that go with it. Oh, yeah. so good. Got to get that recipe written down. Yeah. And then I'll also make a baba ganoush, which I have the recipe for you for, which is a roasted eggplant dip. And if it, this is on the weekend, we have uh, made fresh cassava wraps before. Yeah. Which are super simple. It's just cassava flour and water. Of course, you got to look up the right proportions, find a recipe. And then we uh, make a dough out of that and press it in like an empanada press and then throw those on the pan. I think you mean a tortilla press. Tortilla press, yeah. <laughs> and chalada empanada. Oh, because I I now remember one of my projects I did yeah. was making these like hand pies, these empanadas, yeah. and I used that to press them out. Where so did you yeah. learn the term hand pie? Hand pies? Yeah. At the the Great Canadian Bake Off. Show. <laughs> <laughs> we love that show. Yeah. So um so yeah, and those make an amazing delivery system for a lot of this food, like for dipping. Yeah. We love that Mediterranean feast. And another one of our go-to favorites, which was handed down to me from my mom, Patsy, is the roast chicken dinner, which is one of the most delicious. And simple meals to prep. 
So you prepare the chicken. I do it with some onion, carrot, celery in the base. I season my chicken with just some ghee, sea salt, some paprika, nothing fancy at all. Um, And then we'll chop up some veggies to roast. And so we can cook all of that at once. And that leaves us with basically... Our dinner for Monday will be leftovers from that. And often on Tuesday, I'll find something to do with the little bits of chicken or vegetables that are left over. And maybe it's just adding it to a salad or using it that way. But it's one of those meals that serves for so long. And then I'll take the bones from that and and make a broth. And one of the final meal categories we're going to talk about is the customization meals. These meals are really great when you have different people in your household who all have different taste preferences. So pizza is an obvious example because you can choose your toppings for it. And who doesn't love pizza? Uh, the other next one we use do a lot is uh, stuffed sweet potatoes. Yeah, those are uh, pretty simple as well. You really just got to set time aside to cook the sweet potatoes properly. But yeah, you, you roast the sweet potato in yeah, advance. Yeah, you roast like a whole sweet potato, maybe slice, uh, put some holes in it with a fork and then slice it at the end. And then you can pile on top of it some ground beef, um, guacamole, some sprouts, like a cashew cheese or, you know, some sort of dressing or sauce that can go on top of all that. Yeah, I also add to it's usually sauteed onions and garlic and greens. Mm. And without beef, you we, you can do it with black beans. Kidney beans is really good for it. Whenever I'm using beans, I like to use anything but chickpeas because we eat so much hummus and even you can make hummus with all kinds of beans. But to just keep changing it up so you're getting that that nutrient diversity. Yeah. And then if you have multiple people, they could kind of choose what they put on it. And that's also another way to get people active in the kitchen. Yeah. Right? Like it's just a simple door opener to get them to be involved in that process. It's basically address your own sweet potato. And on a similar note would be like a rice or cauliflower bowl. So if you're grain free, you can do it with cauliflower. If you eat grains, you can do it with a rice uh, or even quinoa, use it as a base in a bowl. And then you can just make like a ton of toppings. There could be raw vegetables, there could be tomatoes, there could be sprouts. You could have some chopped avocado or guacamole. You could have olives. What you else, could have man? tofu, you can have tempeh, you can have Josh. I feel like you're like going down the list of like the last place where you bought you you actually purchased a rice bowl where they have like <laughs> the buffet of of topping yeah, ideas. I'm trying roasted red peppers, all those things. And and the thing is, this is also another one that's great for using up leftovers as well, which we'll often do. And then to unify the whole thing, I'll I'll drizzle on that tahini dressing, and uh, you're good to go. This is one of our favorite travel meals as well. For sure. When, when we used to travel. Like traveling as in we take it on, on the, the go. Yes. Like on the airplane. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, our final one here for customization would be some sort of a wrap. Now, of course, you got to start with a good wrap. There's a lot of really not so good wraps out there. And when you move away from the gluten, you lose the benefit of the glue. So sometimes it's hard to find a good wrap, but... You know, Uh, you can make them yourself and there's some good ones out there. A hot tip for the purchasing of gluten-free wraps is to steam them before you use them because Mm -hmm. that um, infuses them with some moisture and makes them a lot more pliable and less likely to crack and crumble. Another great option for wrap is vegetables. So you can use collard greens. Great way to do that is you take out the spine of the collard green because that's really woody and then you can kind of blanch it, which means cook it very quickly and that softens up the collard green and then you can stuff that thing. Great you tip, can, Josh. Thank Great you. tip on the collard. You could also use romaine lettuce, which has really good structure to it. So you prepare some of those leaves and you can put whatever you want in those leaves and use that as a wrap. Any other vegetables that can be used as a wrap? 
Oh, gosh. I'm, Not really with big leaves No, like I mean, that. I've seen people use like sweet potato toast, but it's just a thinly sliced sweet potato. Yeah, not so. happening. Not <laughs> going to stand the test of time. You might love it, but... Yeah, it's it's not toast. Yeah. So there you have it. And then, you know, just a, a quick note on the, a little bit of the evolution of what Megan and I have gone through since we've been living together. How long have we been living together, Josh? Ten years. Test. We've been living together 10 years? years, nine years, nine years, we moved in together nine years ago. I've enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially because you can help make dinner. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think it's important that Everyone in the household knows how to make at least something. So if they're on their own, they can fend for themselves. Um, I think maybe our situation is a bit unusual in terms of how good we both are in the kitchen. And how much we both enjoy it. And how much we both enjoy it. That's true. Uh, there have been certain times where Megan has had to kick in or I've had to kick in. Like when Megan finished writing her second book, The Undiet yeah. Cookbook, I don't think she could look at food. I couldn't. I didn't cook for like a year after you that. Didn't. I was tapped out creatively. I had no interest in cooking anything that was in the book because I cooked it a hundred times over, yeah. testing everything. Plus, I cooked everything to film the culinary nutrition expert program. So yeah, I was. Yeah, not. and then when you were pregnant, and a little bit after as well. What was it called when I was pregnant? The food, food aversion. I think so. Or it was like. It could like change mid-meal. Oh, it even. was horrible. Yeah, that's a little bit harder on the chef too. <laughs> yeah. When you put all this effort into a meal and then they're like, uh, I can't eat enough. I would bite. say I wanted something and then it would be like, we'd be half of the meal and I have to like leave the room. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. But I think it's important that if you're listening to this and you want someone else in your family to also learn some recipes or you don't really know any recipes, like learn like three good meals with all the components and you're pretty much set for when you have to kick in and kind of help out. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, most households are rotating their meals anyway. So if you know like two to three, you're you're set at, at doing your part. Yes. And one of the things we do is we have a list of meals on a shared notes where we also have our shopping list. And I'll basically just copy and paste the meals we're going to make that week. And because we've done it so many times, we know what we need for each one of those meals. But if you make a list of your repertoire and then every week aim to add two maybe new recipes to the mix that become part of the regular rotation, you'll find that you have enough diversity and you don't have the stress of being like, what's for dinner? That, that meal planning, it's a chore to do in the moment, but it's, what do you call it? It's the effort thing about suffering We don't plan now. to fail. We fail to plan. Well, that works too. But you were talking the other day about habits, about habits. Oh yeah. Habits and, and why we do what we do. And usually the good habits are the ones that involve a little bit more effort, or you could use the word suffering in the present, but pay off in the future. Whereas bad habits usually pay off right now. And affect you negatively in the future. Right. So we want to cultivate those good habits now and meal planning is one of them. And basically, well, that's how we do culinary nutrition. Everyday cooking is not always the most creative or inspiring, but remember, it doesn't have to be. It just has to get done, but finding ways to make it doable consistently is imperative. Every bite counts. And if it can be easy to pull off and delicious, you are winning all around. 
The meals we make are a core part of our lives. So we've made it a priority to ensure one of us is home to prepare it. The lunches are packed and that we make time on the weekend to do our meal prep. Again, it's not always what we feel like doing in the moment, but it definitely pays off in the week. Many of the recipes and meals mentioned in this episode are linked over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just choose this episode and pick out one or two new recipes to try this week. And then next week, add one more. If you loved learning about food, nutrition, and how you can create delicious and healthful meals for your family, or perhaps even inspire others to do the same in their home kitchens, then join us in September for the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. Registration is open. Be part of leading this important and vital conversation. Visit culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. Our fully supported start to finish 14-week curriculum has you graduating mid-December. It's your time to leave. So if you've been considering this for the last few months or even years, This is the time we are waiting for you and everyone will benefit from your learning and your efforts in the process. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have ideas or topics you'd love us to cover in the future, let us know about it. Send us an email, leave a comment on the blog post for this episode over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Again, have a great day.